0: Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. I love this series that we're talking about cuz how many of you know that at the cross everything changed? I mean it really is. It's it's the center point of our faith. And so I, I'm just honored to be able to share on this a little bit today with you. This morning, my message is entitled Crosstalk. Crosstalk. Some conversations between Jesus and his father on the cross. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way, but there's actually some dialogue going on between Jesus and his father on the cross. And uh, maybe, maybe you've heard of the seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross. Maybe you've studied some of that. We're going to look at four of those today that pertain to Jesus and his dad, what they're talking about on the cross. Because I think a lot of times people have uh, really confused the, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and uh, have really either ignored it or kind of distorted God the Father in particularly. So today we're gonna sort through some of that, see what the scripture says. And so uh, put on your seatbelt and let's go, okay? So I, I say it a lot, history is our friend. Okay, if, if, if we can get historical context of what's going on, it clears a whole lot up. Okay, and so I, w- I want to just kind of give you a, uh, an overview, an introduction here of, of history of what people have believed about the atonement. Atonement's just a big fancy word uh, for what really happened at the cross. Atonement's an interesting word. If you kind of divide it up, it's at one mint. And it's what God did through Jesus to reestablish oneness, at oneness with him. He's invited us into oneness with himself. Do you realize that? That's the good news. That's the gospel for all people. He has invited us into relationship with him. So for the first 1,100 years, from the cross to about uh, 1,100, there was really only one view of the believers of the church, and that's called Christus Victor, say it with me. Christus Victor, just a Latin word that means Christ the victor, and so there was a victorious view of the cross. How many of you I was just noticing the words of the songs we were singing? a lot of victory songs. Did you notice that? You know, and a lot of times we think, well, the victory just came at resurrection. well that yeah, absolutely that is the cro- the cross. His meaning comes from the other side of that in resurrection power. But can I tell you, the church understood some things in those first 1,100 years that maybe we have lost a little bit because the idea was that Jesus won the victory over Satan, sin, and death, okay? Where, where does the enemy try to uh, beat you up? Probably in those three areas, that he's bigger than God that, you know, the the fear of death and that sin is just, I, I mean, it's just a way of life. Can I tell you, Jesus did something at the cross that destroyed each one of those things. So Jesus redeemed mankind. And here was the view. He redeemed and restored mankind to God's original identity, authority, and purpose for their lives, I'm not going to go all the way back to Genesis and preach this, but the the idea is this, that God created us, mankind, to be his image bearers, that the whole world would know who God is, what he looks like, because he lives his life in and through us. And so that was the deal that Jesus came to redeem, to restore our identity and purpose in life. You kind of see this in the Last Supper. Okay, do you remember the last supper when Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me. Do you remember that? Just hours before he goes to the cross, he says, listen, in my blood will be a new covenant. So he's, he's saying this new covenant in this kingdom is a restoration. It's a victory that's getting ready to happen. It's kind of like in Matthew 16. Do you remember the conversation that Jesus has with all the disciples, but particularly with Simon Peter? And he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. You remember that? What's he doing? He's saying, this has always been the intention of the Father that we be an extension of his kingdom. We advance the kingdom of God, that we be a family on mission, okay? So that was the idea. So for the first 1,100 years, that was essentially what people thought and believed about the cross. Listen listen to what the writer in Hebrews says. In uh, Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 through 15, he says, since the children of God have flesh and blood, Jesus too, Shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of the devil who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. That, that's Christus Victor. That, that's the idea. So 11, in the 1100s, a fellow by the name of uh, Anselm, he was a, a bishop of Canterbury. He, he came up with um, or derived a new theory of what happened at the cross and his was known as the satisfaction theory. This will help us get to where we're at today. So his idea was this, that his focus was on human sin. Do you see, already, do you see the difference? The focus on the victory of Jesus the focus on human sin. He said, because of our sin, we've dishonored God. Therefore, God sent his son Jesus to reclaim that honor and, so, and to set things in order. The problem is that sin became the focus of the cross. Hello, any of you, you know, Jesus died for my sins? That's a true thing. But he also died to restore my covenant identity with him to fulfill my purpose in life, to be a kingdom man, a kingdom woman, to be a person who lives in a better covenant than this inferior old covenant that the people were in. See, again, if we don't get the history of what's really going on in the background, 14, 1,500 years of old covenant mindset and Jesus comes and smashes it all in one. He says, I want you to be free from Satan, sin, death, and this old way of living so that you can walk in newness of life in this new covenant as a new creation. See, a lot of those ideas that we have of salvation, where do they come from? The culmination of it all at the cross. When Jesus brings the fullness of time together For us, If we don't understand that, the cross will just be a kind of a theory, a thought, a proposition that gets us to heaven. Can I tell you, that's not what's going on here. Jesus didn't go to the cross to get you to heaven. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. How many of you have been taught that all your life? I've taught that all my life. The cross was all about me saying, heaven yes, hell no, okay? (laughs) That's kind of what I thought the gospel was, you know? Heaven, yes, hell, no. That, can I tell you, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we be a people who reflect the goodness of God, that bear the image of God, that are trans, uh, transformational in our culture. That's why Jesus went to the cross. So then it's not about sin, it's about victory over sin, you with me? But then in the 1500s during the Protestant Reformation and all of that comes another theory and Martin Luther, who was a, uh, a brilliant man, a good man. He had a legal background, which will help you kind of understand. He built on Anselm's ideas that God was dishonored by our sin, but he took it a, a step further. He said, man has sinned and must be punished. Hello? So what, what what's happening now? The issue of the cross is becoming an issue. Is it about God's forgiveness or is it about man's need for punishment. Is the cross about punishment or is it about forgiveness? We'll get there in a second here. So he goes on and here's his idea essentially. And again, his theory, his atonement theory is called penal substitutionary atonement, okay? Widespread all throughout Western thought particularly. The East didn't buy this too much. When the church... uh, Split in 1054, East and West. The Eastern Orthodox, the Catholic Church. We came along a little bit later in the Protestant deal. And I thought I was gonna give you a little church history. But what is happening here is in the 1500s this idea of penal substitutionary atonement. So it's an idea that Jesus died, or he when he died, he stood in for humanity. Humans deserve to be punished of sin. So Jesus took our place and he took our punishment and God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that we could go free. Do you see the difference between that idea and the idea of Jesus going to the cross because of the love of God for us? Okay, so we'll unpack this. So where Calvin takes us is really a return to old covenant thinking. Uh, Penal substitutionary atonement, okay? And so this idea that the cross is about punishing sin and it becomes a legal transaction to get to heaven instead of an act of love that recreates a person inside out. We become a new creation in Christ and it becomes about oneness, In Christ, it becomes about eternity being a relationship with God the Father and His Son, as Jesus said in John 17 3. So, the question around the cross really becomes is the cross for the forgiveness of sin or the punishment of sin? Everybody with me? Is this pertinent to you at all? Okay, this is the stuff that that trips us up when we come to the cross. This is the stuff that makes us see God in a bad light. It impugns his very nature. And we see this kind of monster God that is beating up on his son and you get this good cop, bad cop deal and you don't know what to do with it. Hello? Can I tell you, if we don't know what to do with this kind of thought, there there are millions of people that will not darken our doors because they're fearful of this monster God. God. So we've got to get it straight. We've got to understand what's really going on here. So in, since the 1500s atonement, the emphasis is switched from new covenant forgiveness to punishment. It's, it's kind of this courtroom scene, if you will. God the Father is the judge and he is uh, demanding payment for the debt of sin. And Jesus is, is our advocate, he's our defense, defense lawyer, and he says, I'll die in their place because of their sins. That, that's the picture, that's what we have here. We have, we're just one step from Jesus suffering the wrath of God the Father as a sacrifice to appease an angry judge. Now, where does all that stuff come from? You can make the Bible say all of that because there's a lot of sacrificial language why is there so much language about sacrifice in the Bible? Because that was the system of the, of, of the Jewish religion, was sacrifice, that's what they understood. Why is there so much language about high priest, chief priest? Because that was what they were doing. That's what, they were, that's what religion looked like. When we read through 21st century eyes, we miss the historical context of what's going on here. And so I want to say, people ask me a lot, so Steve, was Jesus' death a sacrifice? It's a good question, isn't it? Some of you are thinking, what what do you say, Steve? (laughs) Let, let, Let your answer. I say, absolutely, it was a sacrifice. Scripture says it was a sacrifice. But Scripture also says it was a sacrifice to end all sacrifices, are you with me? It's a sacrifice to end to end all sacrificing. The whole system of sacrificing animals, the whole temple system, the whole ideas that were, were there. It's a new and living way. And so that, that's what you've got going on. It's, it's, if you read the letter to the Hebrews, repeatedly Jesus' death is said to be a once for all sacrifice one-time occurrence one-time sacrifice to end the whole sacrificial system so it's not a it's not a sacrifice to appease an angry god jesus sacrificed himself to manifest god's forgiveness jesus sacrifice was sacrificed not for the wrath of god but he was sacrificed by Angry, misguided people, just like you and me. And we're going to crawl into the cross scene this morning as we, we look good at Good Friday, that Good Friday is not about divine wrath, but it's about divine love. So I want you to know that's a long introduction in it. I want you to know that we've got to untangle some of the things that we've been handed in order to really see the love of God. How many of you believe that God is love? Okay, until we dispel some of these things and really see that God is, that Jesus fully reveals who God is, we'll miss the point. So let's get into the conversations. The very first saying, the very first conversation that Jesus has with his his father that's recorded is in uh, Luke 23, 32 through 34. Let's take a look at that. He says, two other men, both criminals, were led out with him, with Jesus, to be executed. And when they came to a place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Now we'll stop there. He said they divided his clothes and whatnot, but what's going on here? Jesus, you can see, he starts this out. Father, it's his first statement, Father. Forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. You ever ever made that your prayer, Father? Please forgive me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a clue. Surely what's going on at the cross? Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give you a clue. And so he says, Listen, the whole Jeremiah 31 prophecy is that the, the Messiah would bring forgiveness. Not punishment, but forgiveness of sins, Jeremiah 31. You can take some time, go back and read that. Over and over, the the prophets would say there would be a new covenant that would come, a covenant of forgiveness, a covenant that you would know God in your presence and have personal relationship with him. You'd have access to him. The very first thing Jesus says is bringing forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know. Who is the them? Forgive them. Well, in real time, you know, it's Caiaphas. Who does Caiaphas represent? Religion, the systems of religion. There's Pilate, what does he represent? Government, the systems. There's Roman soldiers. They're all part of that political machinery of the day of Rome. Who else is there, Pilate? I mean, uh, Herod, King Herod. What does King Herod represent? Who knows what King Herod wrote? King Herod was one of the richest men in the world at that day. He was an economic broker. He represented economy. Is economy important today? I think so. Who else is at the cross? Well, they weren't there. By their absence, they represent something. How about Judas? How about the disciples that had walked with Jesus for three and a half years? They're not there at the cross. What does that represent? It represents our cowardly choices, our cowardly decisions. When we will not step into the arena, but we back away for fear. That's what's going on there. Who's represented by the them? It's you and I, it's every one of us. Do you see yourself at the cross in these people? And the conversation is, Father, forgive them because they cannot Forgive themselves; they'll never have relationship with you except forgiveness is offered to them. See, the cross is interesting because it is it is incredibly beautiful, but it's heinously ugly. You know what I'm saying? It's ugly because at the cross, we civilization realizes who we really are how wicked we are that we could crucify God. Let that sink in. Protecting all of our structures, institutions, things that we hold dear, we have the capability to crucify God, to reject God. I mean, the most heinous uh, execution device ever created in the history of mankind. You see on the cross the, the ugliness of what's going on here. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a strong reason why mankind feels alienated from God and enemies of God in our minds. That's what Colossians 1.21 says, that, that we, we are alienated, separated from God, enemies in our minds. Now think about that. It doesn't say that God sees us that way. He says, in our minds, that's how we perceive ourselves. You know why? Because we murdered God. That's why. It's because of our actions toward God. It's because of the darkness that we live in. So the cross is beautiful. Why? Because on the cross, the greatest demonstration of God's love is seen. God demonstrates his love for us. In this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Scripture says. It's a picture of divine sacrificing, -sacrificing, self-sacrificing, self-giving, radically forgiving love. It's beautiful, isn't it? When you wear your cross, you wear it for that reason, don't you? It's a memory of what Jesus has done for you to free you to be who you can be as a new creation in Christ. And so how forgiving is Jesus. Well, he's, he, he forgave us once for all, Hebrews says. I mean, let, let that sink in. That should make you go, whew, no more striving. I don't have to keep coming back to the cross over and over. It is finished. It is finished. It's accomplished. It's done. What, what else? His forgiveness is the way of the new covenant that he inaugurated on the cross. And as you read the Acts uh, of the Apostles and all of Paul's letters, epistles, forgiveness is the core message. It's a core message of the gospel and of the new covenant. So the next conversation between God the Father and the Son, and this, this is one that most of us don't get. This is one that confuses us. This is one that makes us go, what? What's going on? Let's take a look at this. This is the God's co-suffering love. And this is in um, Matthew 27. Matthew 27. He says, it's it's from noon until three. Jesus is on the cross. Darkness has, has covered the whole land. Do you see the picture? It's dark. Something's going on in the heavenlies. People are mocking Jesus. They're spitting on him. You know, if you're really God, save yourself. That kind of stuff's going on. Look at this. It says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out in a loud voice. Now, it's interesting. A dying man doesn't cry out in a loud voice. But Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many of you have read that conversation? Number one, he's not calling him father here, he's saying God. How many of you have had that, have, have, have had, what is going on here in this particular passage? That sure sounds like, a mean monster God right there, that has forsaken Jesus, he's abandoned Jesus, he's detached from Jesus. Uh, Growing up, I was told God is so holy that he cannot look upon sin. And so God turned his back on Jesus and separated. Any of y'all taught that growing up? Okay. Only, Only problem is you just kind of divided the Trinity up and you put God up here, the Father and Jesus down here, Jesus can handle sin, take it all on, but God the Father can't look at sin. Can I tell you what? If God the Father had never looked at sin, then none of us would have ever gotten in. God the Father and the Son are one, okay? The, I, the Father and I are, are one, Jesus said, over and over. Just read the Gospel of John. It's, it, it just oozes out of the deal. So that's not what's going on here. Well, let me see if I can kind of enlighten a little bit what's going on. What is happening here is Jesus is quoting the first line, the first verse of a song that everyone would have known. Every male adult, Jewish adult would have known Psalm 22. Write that down if you're a note taker because you'll want to go back and check me up on that. Psalm 22, the first line is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's a Davidic psalm, it's a Messianic psalm. And if you stop right there, then you get a God who separates Himself. But what is this Psalm, this song, really about? It's about victory. It's about victory. If it's so well known, like if I were to say, "Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound," come help me. What goes? Let's say. Okay, what's going on here? It's a song, we all know it, we know what it's about. That's what's going on here. Jesus is beginning a song that everybody knew. Now, it's interesting, in verse 24 of that psalm, it says this, listen to this. For God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Hello? All right, let, let's continue on. This is how that Psalm ends. Let, let's put this up real quick. Y'all are gonna have to listen in a hurry here. I'm, I'm uh, getting a little long-winded, but this is, is this okay? Is this good? Okay, we're going to sort this thing out. Listen to this. This is how the psalm ends. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth. That's inclusive in it. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For the dominion, the victory, the rule, the reign belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down into the dust and will kneel before him. And those who cannot keep themselves, for those cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, come on, let's say it. He has done it. Does that sound like Christmas victory to you? See, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me becomes a victory declaration in the mouth of Jesus to those who are around. And most of them are scratching their heads saying, this guy is about to die and he's claiming victory. You see what's going on there? That's the conversation. He is so identified with us in our humanity and our pain that he's taken on, that he's crying out in that agony. God, this feels like you've forsaken me, but I know that you are the victor. That's what's going on in this thing. I wish I could share more, but I'm not. I think you got this. I think you got it. The question is this. While Jesus is on the cross making these declarations, if he's not detached from Jesus, if he's not separated from Jesus, if he's not abandoned Jesus, where, where is he? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at this scripture here. Paul kind of says, here's what's going on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it all into clear focus. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 19. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now that's a different verse than I asked y'all to give me a version. I'm gonna give you the version that I'm looking for. Listen to this. God was in Christ. He wasn't distant, far away going, good luck, son reconciling the world to himself restoring relationship oneness no longer counting people's sins against them and he has given to us this same message of reconciliation that's what's going on at the cross last thing i want you to see here last conversation conversation number 3 god's transformational love there's actually two Sayings that Jesus is going to say in one little verse here in John 19, verse 30. Listen to this. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What's going on here? This is how Luke 23 says it. He said, with a loud voice, again, another loud voice, a dying man says, Father, again, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's finished, into your hands I commit my spirit. What does it is finished mean? What does it, into your hands I commit my spirit, mean? I'll tell you what it means because if we don't get this, we'll miss really what happened on the cross. It means the old covenant way of life is over. It's finished. This idea, and, and, and don't think that we don't have old covenant way of thinking today. It's the idea of my performance plus my approval of other people toward me equals my value and worth. Hello? Jesus says that, that day's over. That day is over. Because of my new covenant blood shed for you, you belong to the family of God. Because of what I've done here on the cross, you are forgiven. Now, What else is it saying? It's saying that Jesus freely chose to give his life away. He said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. These people are not taking my life. I'm freely choosing to give my life that salvation might come to all mankind. That's the love, the self-sacrificing love of God. That's the co-suffering love of God. That's the forgiving love of God on display right there. Now listen. Listen. In the giving of his spirit, Jesus is releasing his spirit into all of those who will receive it. He's saying, my spirit is available to you because my forgiveness has already paved the way. My question today for you is is really pretty simple. Will you humble yourself? and receive God's gift of forgiveness? Will you humble yourself and say, God, I want to live as a covenant partner with you. Maybe you've already done that, but you need to re-up today. I'm gonna ask you just to stand to your feet. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come forward. And we're gonna have a song here in just a bit. It'd be an invitation to you, to come to receive prayer for whatever need you have. But maybe you're here this morning, you'd say, you know what, I need to receive Jesus's forgiveness. I need to give my life to Jesus and, and say, Jesus, I'm all in, I receive you. Let me just ask, is there anyone bold enough to say, that's me, I wanna give my life to Jesus this morning? Based, here we go. Someone else, raise your hand. All right. You know, we really, really felt this morning there, there are people here that need to give your life to Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to make that, to make your way forward. If you raise your hand you're one of, and find one of these prayer people and just say, hey, I'm here. I wanna give my life to Jesus. Where do I go now? Come on now. Amen. Well, Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you your spirit is moving. And Lord, I pray that any person, every person here, Lord, is hearing your voice, hearing your spirit, hearing your move, your unction, the knowing in their spirit that they'll say yes, they'll obey, and they'll step into what you're calling them to, Lord. Maybe maybe you're here today and and you just, you you need the healing power of Jesus. The scripture says that it's by his stripes, blood that he shed for us, that you and I are healed. The cross provided so much for us. Whatever your need is this morning, I invite you to come.